gospel lesson. Come to us this morning from the good news, according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Now when the Magi had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, again, Happy New Year. I always find this to be one of the more awkward Sundays in the year to have a church service, and at least in terms of being the pastor and planning and preparing. Uh, and that is because the universal church, for the most part, is celebrating the eighth day of Christmas, uh, but it seems like the rest of the universe has already moved on hard if they were ever doing Christmas uh, from a week ago, and most, much of the Western world, at least, is celebrating New Year. Uh, so we went straight from, you know, we had church service last Sunday. Some of us went home and celebrated after that. Some of you have little kids and got up really early, but it means we didn't get to hear the stories about, you know, the Air Jordans you got for Christmas or the fight that you had over the eggnog, or we didn't get to even tell the stories. We're already into New Year. We're into new resolutions. All the things we're planning, everything we're looking forward to, to be better. So from fun to fun. Uh, and New Year, you know, New Year is, is a good process. I think it's good. Whenever people hold it, it's good to pause and to reflect on what has happened in the last four seasons, the cycle uh, of seasons that we have here, the year, and to reflect on things that have happened, and also to resolve, to grow in new ways. This is good. We all need to reflect and be thoughtful, and we need to uh, sort of take notes, and then we need to course correct and grow into something that we hope will be maybe bigger or better, but at least more beautiful and true and good, something more connected to our deepest selves. You might, if you haven't been doing this for a long time and you're not so cynical as me, call these dreams for ourselves. You're dreaming of what 
your life can be like, how it can be different, fuller somehow, better. Dreams of better health, either moving from sickness to health or just feeling better in your own skin. Uh, Lauren and I visited a gym this week, and we were told that their membership doubles or triples at this time, this exact week, every single year. Perhaps you've made career or vocational decisions about how you want to live your life to have more purpose, setting new goals and accomplishments, hoping that maybe not in a year from now, but we're going to be on the path to finally becoming that person that's positively glowing of skin and shining perhaps in sequins because we can afford it and in the lights, you know, this beautiful new self that you have in mind. But New Year also happens in winter. We are covered in darkness, both literal and metaphorical. Our reflections on the year past, of course, remind us of countless deaths of people that meant something to us or to the world or those that even no one noticed through war, refugees, loss. And even as our, our resolution, resolutions because of this are made half-hearted and tentative because we've lived this cycle in reality. We know how it goes. I'm going to try. I'm going to get up the effort to try again and be disappointed. The disappointment comes, of course, from bumping into reality over and over again against failure, frustration, powerlessness, anger, fear, the powers that be that keep you down or persecuted or left out or threatened or addicted. And so maybe it's appropriate that it's New Year's Day and Christmas. Because the story that we heard is all about dreams descending into the darkness. It's about how even at the first Christmas, and when I say Christmas, you can also just hear Christianity if you are here seeking to be reminded or to explore the faith. It's about the fact that these things always coexist. That there is always darkness, and yet there is also always dreams from God in the middle of that darkness. That until the kingdom comes in fullness, we will have to learn how to navigate, coexist with, even perhaps in some ways, embrace the fact that we live through seasons of darkness, but that we carry a dream from God within us. Let me just remind you here, the first verses, when the wise men had departed, so they've just come, they've celebrated, they've anointed their, their strange sages, kings, we're not sure, important people that came from around the world to come outside and say, this baby, we have fought a star in the heavens, may have been a comet, we're laying down gifts, and we're proclaiming this the king of the whole world. An angel had shown up and said, his name is Yeshua, Yahweh saves, the, one, the God who will save you and the whole world. And here is this baby in a manger. And so they depart from this all of this amazing stuff, everyone's pondering, Mary's pondering, Joseph is astounded, everyone's wondering what this means, and an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in the dark while he's asleep, with his eyelids closed, and says to him in a dream, rise up and take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and wait there until I tell you, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now we have threats, bad news, danger, powers that be. So he rose and took the child. He did what the dream said. He took the child and his mother at night 
and departed to Egypt. This land that would have been terrifying to any God-fearing Jewish people in the Middle East of this day. And they remained there years until the death of Herod. See, dreams, by the nature of being dreams, are always in darkness. They come to you even if your eyes, if your eyes are closed and it's daylight outside, you still have closed your eyes and you're in the dark and dreams come to you. You find yourself in a liminal state and vulnerable and open and dreams come. And in this case, God came and spoke to Joseph through a dream so that he could navigate the darkness, the real evil, the real injustice, the real pain, the real threat. The dream came like seeds underground in a winter field covered with ice. And a dream in the darkness from God is like a seed planted there underground in winter. But also, we can't skip too quickly. It is also still winter. They are fleeing their homeland, refugees, into a dark and strange land to hide out from the threat of death. See, all of us somewhere have heard the Christmas story and the star, the shepherds, the manger. We look at our trees and we decorate them, the wise men. But we often neglect this part of Christmas because it's pretty horrific. After the wise men had visited Mary and Joseph, king requests where they are. The king Herod tries to find out where they are. Being warned in a dream, they have to leave and they have to run away from Herod. And Herod has all of the male children, two years old or younger, in the region surrounding Bethlehem where Jesus was born, killed. Herod was a brutal dude. When he came to power... He had been appointed by a rare agreement between Octavian and Mark Antony in 37 BC. Herod had murdered the entire Sanhedrin. He'd also murdered two of his own sons, which prompted Caesar Augustus himself to say, you'd be better off as one of Herod's pigs than as one of his sons. He knew that he would not be mourned when he died, so he ordered that dozens of executions take place right before his death so that there would at least be mourners for others in the city. This is the one who sent his henchmen to Bethlehem to kill all of the male children. And so two young parents grab their toddler and whatever they can carry and they run for the border to foreign soil. And we don't, soil, we don't know much about their time in Egypt. Can't imagine what it might have been like to rush across the border to try to stay hidden for as long as possible, to be young, poor, and Jewish, to not speak the language most likely, perhaps to seek out little Jewish exile communities where you can fit in and be taken care of and find connections. But after King Herod's death, they return home and they remember their time in exile. They remember how they're identified even as the new Israel out of Egypt I have called my son, it says, that this happens, that Jesus could take the place as the new people of God, the new Israel with his new family. And I think the, part, the point of this part of the gospel in Matthew chapter 2 is to tell us that this is not going to be the exception to the rule, at least in the world as it is still broken and fallen. In fact, it will be the rule. That there are too many people, like Herod, wanting to hold on to power and privilege and prestige, and that we will sometimes actually kill to protect our throne 
and that it is even this brutal world that God came to save. That God would have to do some of this work himself to undo the slaughter of the innocents in the world. And I said it already, but why did Herod do this? It's simple. He had a throne to protect. Every choice he makes is to serve self. To be self-serving. He wanted to keep what he had. To eliminate whatever threatened what he enjoyed. And he was definitely a psychopath, so I don't want to press the point too hard. But there is a little bit of Herod in each of us. And what I mean by that is this temptation to serve self. And whether you're thinking about your resolutions or your goals or your past year or your future year, there is this fundamental part of us that is afraid that we're going to get kicked off of our throne, that place where we make the decisions, where we're in charge, where we have made a little fortress around us to keep us invulnerable from harm to turn our, eye, turn our eyes away from the evil and the darkness and the suffering in the world, to get as much joy and relaxation and prosperity as we can, we find ourselves perhaps not welcoming Jesus. Well, we may not be psychopaths like Herod, but to ask him to come in and to make us vulnerable and to bring his attention to our suffering and the suffering around us. I think the first opportunity here for us is to, with God, not ignore the darkness. To not ignore the darkness or even try to to escape it in some way that is about protecting our vulnerability. Here's some examples. Our friends may tolerate us only so long if we're sharing sadness and bringing the vibe down. You want to be a killjoy, so I'll just keep that to myself. Our family may want us to outsource our problems only to counselors, and I think counselors are great, but they may want to outsource them rather than talk about them. Some years ago, a science fiction writer, Cory Doctorow, in an essay referred to, quote, your computer's ecosystem of interruption technologies. He wrote that before smartphones. So we honestly don't want to sit still and think about suffering and darkness and death. It's a shadow land. It's a dark place to be, and we don't want to rest there. We don't want to wait it out. We don't want to sit in it. I read this book this last year that compared the soul to a wild animal. And it said, if you want to go out and see a wild animal like a bear or a moose or a deer even, usually... You have to go somewhere out in the woods, somewhere really quiet, and you have to sit really, really still for a long time. Because it's only when that animal feels safe that it will come out and be vulnerable to interact with you. That the soul is a wild animal like that. And so let me just give you this application now. All of us are going to continue to carry darkness, to be under darkness And we need to make safe space for one another to trust that God speaks into our darkness, that he gives us a dream to carry, but that he's given us one another, that he's given us promise that he will guide us each step of the way if we depend on him. And so we are safe enough from any threat that we can be vulnerable. We can come out into the open. We can share our suffering 
and our pain with one another in relationship. To look more deeply at your own suffering and failure and fears. To let God into that suffering and darkness. To let others into your suffering. And to enter into the suffering of others. Could this be a resolution for us this year? To become the kind of people that know how to navigate the darkness with God's help. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, no less, put it this way. We must learn to regard human beings less in terms of what they do and neglect to do and more in terms of what they suffer. The only fruitful relation to human beings, particularly to the weak among them, is love. That is the will to enter into and to keep community with them. God did not hold human beings in contempt, but became human for their sake. So if it's a dream from God, then it will acknowledge the darkness. It won't just pretend like Herod's not there or the slaughter of the innocents isn't happening. No, it will join with those who mourn and weep at the loss and trust God to guide them through the darkness, even when they're huddling together. It won't suppress or hide from these things or cover them up or make excuses for them. It will acknowledge them. But then the second point is don't ignore the darkness, but don't let the darkness discourage you. For God has given a dream to us, and he guides us. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, and he said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Those who sought the child's life are dead. So he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. I think of it like this. Parker Palmer actually gave us the image of the wild, the soul as a wild animal, says this. In darkness this deep, it's hard to find the kind of hope that isn't wishful thinking. Hope that is muscular enough to do business in the real world. To get there, we must work through the fear that keeps us from speaking and acting in service of love and truth and justice. See, King Jesus was the polar opposite of King Herod. The kingdom that he was bringing, even as a baby and then throughout his life and through his death, resurrection, and ascension, was one entirely different and diametrically opposed to the self-serving protection of the throne and the putting of darkness upon other people to protect yourself and to lift yourself up and to be in the light. But instead, it was one that wanted to be in God with us, Emmanuel, near, a part of in solidarity with those who suffer. If Herod was a new Pharaoh, then Jesus was a new Moses, leading people out of Egypt into lands of promise and healing where everyone has enough and no one has too much. Self-giving. Giving up his throne to give of himself over and over again. There are so many details in the story and in the life of Uh, Jesus himself, but think about it. He came with God, emptied himself to be with us, to walk with us. On this day, the eighth day, as a Jewish boy, he would have been circumcised. No small thing, and some churches celebrate that today. But he experienced in his flesh already what it means to be a part of this world and to feel and to hurt. As we said already, he was a refugee. Later in his life, he would be homeless and hungry He would be falsely accused, tortured, rejected, experience police brutality, 
killed, put down in the ground like a seed. And why? To give himself to us in love. To vulnerably not only take into us the darkness that we carry, but to speak a new dream of love through connection to us by the power of his spirit to be with us. And you hear it again and again, the one thing that was told in the dream, it's very simple. Rise up and take the child. Rise up and take the child. Go this direction. Wait with the child and his mother. Now it's time to rise up and take the child and go back this direction and dwell with the child and his mother. And yet all these dreams and promises stand behind these actions, these slow, unfolding, confusing actions in the darkness, moving toward the light. All of these things happened with the backdrop of promises of what Jesus is going to be the new king and what he's going to bring and what he's going to do. And so for us, just a couple minutes of application directly. Here at Resurrection Brooklyn, we have been through some horrendous years. Even prior to the pandemic, there were challenges. There were certainly challenges during the pandemic. We've enjoyed the relative normalcy of the last year, but also all sorts of transition and newness and creativity and openness to what the future might hold. And I would even say vulnerability and connection. And we have dreams of new things that God might be hinting he's going to do for us and through us and with us together for one another, perhaps with this property in this community in Brooklyn. There are all sorts of things to look back on and reflect on the year and things to look forward to and resolve to do and to be. And it's good to dream. And let's let our dreams come from God who includes the darkness, but also that promises us to push on and follow him and sometimes to wait and to know that there will be long waiting periods that frustrate us. We have one job to do, and that is when he tells us to rise, we rise up and we take the child, Jesus, and his mother. That we always have him with us no matter what happens. If we get the building or we don't get the building. Whether it takes 10 years to use parts of it for things we want to do. Whether Brian and I get attacked by a shark surfing and you, you know, lose your pastors. Whatever darkness befalls you, rise up and take the child. You have one another and you carry the dream within you. There's this interview today in the Atlantic by a podcaster and writer named Rebecca Rashid. It's called How to Build a Happy Life. It's a long quote, so I'm going to skip most of it just for time. But she says this. She spent her whole life studying happiness. She's got a podcast called How to Build a Happy Life. And she says, The happiness formula that's prevalent in Western well-being practices is focused on habits, a lot of self-management, and individualized autonomous behavior. But she basically says, None of this will actually lead you to a happy life. The one thing that really gives us a happy life is our relationships. The reliability of them, the longevity of them, the depth of them. That sounds really obvious and simple, but that is the formula for happiness. Investing in, reinvesting in, or creating relationships in a world that doesn't always make that easy. 
See, Jesus comes to bring a new reign of love and self-giving and vulnerability and connection. If you will, take the child and remain a holy family on pilgrimage together, then no matter what we face, he will be with us and protect us and carry us further and further into his love and into his life. I'll close with just this one quote from Howard Thurman. It's a long and beautiful poem. But he talks about looking at the edge of something growing. And he says, look around us. Worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. Always life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots silently work in the darkness. And yet there will be new leaves and fresh blossoms and green fruit. Such is the growing edge. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair. The incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and people have lost their reason. The source of confidence when the worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of this child. Life's most dramatic answer to death. This is the growing edge incarnate. Look well to this growing edge. Friends, may God give us dreams in the darkness and guide us all our days. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.